It's on page 824 and 825 of your church Bibles. Matthew 19, we'll be reading verses 13 uh, through 30 this morning. Last week we've got, we got Jesus' teachings on, on marriage, divorce, singleness. Uh, we said last week we, would, uh, we didn't have time to cover it last week, but this week we get to, uh, to, to God's view on, on children and Jesus' uh, view of children. Uh, and along with that, we'll, we'll look at this, this section on uh, this young man, this rich young ruler who, who comes uh, before Christ. And, and there's a, they, they almost seem uh, unrelated, but I think there's, there's many things that we're going to find this morning. Uh, where the, the two overlap. You see sort of the, the children that are, are brought to Christ, and then what happens when they, when they become young adults. There's, there's I think, uh, things that we, we hear about that. But we also, uh, what we see really this morning is how, how Christ uh, exposes our hearts. Uh, he exposes the, the hearts of parents as well as uh, the hearts of the, the single young rich man who comes before him. Uh, this is God's word from Psalm, from Matthew 19, beginning in verse 13, uh, and reading to the end of the chapter. Then children were brought to him that he might lay hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such belong the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would have enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on, the, on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or fathers, or mothers, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold. And I will inherit, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forevermore. Uh, nothing quite exposes our hearts like, like children. And one of the, the ways that our hearts get exposed by children is uh, the things that we think are, are truly good are the things that we want for our children. Maybe, maybe you've seen this in, in the way your, your parents raised you. The things that, that, that matter to you now probably matter to your parents at some point. When I was 
growing up, I, I knew parents who uh, had promising uh, sporting careers when they were younger, and they didn't pan out for, for various reasons. Uh, but they thought that having a, a sporting career was, was a really good thing. And so they, sp they would spend uh, thousands on, on getting their kids the, the very best coaching. Uh, they would give up uh, their whole weekends to, to drive to tournaments and, 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 uh, and, and really wanted to push their children to succeed in, in sport because they thought that that was a really good thing. Uh, we see that uh, even today in our, in our own country, don't we? You know, why do people spend uh, upwards of 40,000 pounds a year to send their sons to Eton. Well, it's because we think that, that education is really important and status is really important. If, if a parent thinks that that is, is really good, then they're going to, to, to try and do everything they can to give that to their children. Why do, why do the rest of us have panic attacks over which, which free school we send our kids to? It's because we think education is, is so good and is so important that we want to give our children the, the best that we can. And I know most of you don't have children yet, uh, but I think it's important for you to, to hear what Jesus says about, about children and to begin to, to, to form your own understanding of, of what is truly good for your kids, the ones that the Lord is likely to bless you with one day. He also uh, has much to say to, to the rest of us this morning, in particular to, to the young adults here, as we look at this this uh, interaction with the rich young man. As he, and, and as we saw uh, last week, we said that we were looking at uh, Jesus' view of our personal lives. And what we're going to once again see is that, that Jesus actually exposes our personal lives. That before God, there's, there's nothing that's, that's personal or private. That God wants to rule every aspect of your life. He wants it all. He wants our whole selves, and he doesn't want it out of, out of a personal selfishness, but actually because the one who is truly good, as Jesus says, well, that, that one desires to make us good like him. He desires us to, to know the, the blessings of being found in him. And so there's three things for us to see this morning. First of all, we'll see Jesus calling to, to parents and, and the church. Secondly, we'll see Jesus' calling to, to young adults. And lastly, we'll, we'll, we'll look at this question, the question that disciples asked, who can possibly be saved? So first, let's look at, at Jesus calling to, to parents as well as to the church. Jesus has just finished his uh, teaching with the Pharisees and, and the disciples on, on marriage, divorce, and, and singleness. And now you, you notice that, that this group of people, uh, a, a group of parents, start to, to bring their children to Jesus. And it says that, that, that they, they wanted him just to simply lay hands on them and, and pray for them. Notice that it says that, that the children weren't, weren't coming to them to, to him themselves, that they were, they were actually being brought by the parents. And they were being brought because the parents wanted, to Je wanted Jesus to do for their children what he had done for them. You remember back at the, the very beginning of this section, at the, the start of chapter 19, that Jesus was going about the, the countryside and, and the peoples were, were flocking to, to go and see him. And, and when, they, when, when they came to Jesus, it says that he, he laid his hands upon them and he, he healed them. That's what the parents wanted for their children. He wanted Je they wanted Jesus to simply touch their children and, and to pray for them, to bless them. That's beautiful, isn't it? You know, that's, 
that's what we, we should long for as a church, is, is for, for parents to want to bring their children so that, that, that Christ can, can be a blessing to them. We want the people to, to be able to bring their, their children to Christ and so that, that the children will know Jesus in the same way that, that their parents and, and you and I know him. See, the children couldn't, couldn't come on their own. Maybe the children were, were even afraid to come. Maybe they didn't want to come. If, if you were a little child, would you want to go have a, a strange man lay hands on you? You know, most kids are afraid, even in our, our own day and age, to be brought to, to Father Christmas, aren't they? And he's the one who promises to give them all this stuff on, on Christmas Day. But the parents know best, don't they? And they bring their children to Jesus. And remember, Jesus has already affirmed uh, the, the value that he places on children. He had put a, a child amidst his disciples just a, a few chapters ago and, and said that, that if you want to come into the kingdom, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, then you have to become like, like one of these little children. But a, an odd thing happened when the, the parents start bringing their children to Jesus in this episode, don't they? An odd thing happens. The disciples want to turn them away. They, they rebuke the parents for, for bringing the kids to him. This is where we, we once again hear the, the value Jesus places on the little children. Jesus says in verse 14, No, let, let the little children come to me, and don't hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of heaven. And he, he lays his hands on them, and, and, and then before he, he goes away. And, and this is actually a remarkable interaction, isn't it? And we should wonder at it, because Jesus accepts the little children, and he receives the ones who are who are the weakest and the, the most vulnerable and who can't even come themselves voluntarily in faith. He accepts the ones who don't even yet comprehend their need for his grace. There's a few things that we ought to take away from this, and, and I'm going to go through them uh, briefly this morning because there's, there's a lot to cover today. I recognize that. So first of all, uh, parents, or, or when you become a parent, Jesus loves your children. And he wants you to, to bring them to him. When you have children, you should, you should desire for them to have the things that you believe to be truly good. And if you believe that Christ is truly good, then you should bring your children to Christ. And you should, you should do so with, with confidence, knowing that he loves them. I would even say that he, he loves them more than you do. That's quite a bold statement. But practically what this means is, is you should bring your children to church. Not just for free child care, but because you believe it's good. You should have them uh, baptized, as I'll, I'll get to in, in a few moments. You should, talk, you, should, you should talk to your children about Jesus in your homes. You should make a, a practice of, of, of having family devotions together where you read the Bible and, and you teach your children how to pray. I say this to you not, not because these things are... Uh, are, are meant to be sort of legalistic or, or magic or something like that. But it's simply, how do you know Jesus? How do you grow in him? Well, you do so through what we call the ordinary means of grace, by, by coming to church and, and, and hearing God's word. You do it by, by observing the, the sacraments, by reading the scriptures and praying in the privacy of your own home. You see, what, what, we, what we desire for ourselves, what we do for ourselves, is what, what Christ simply wants us to do for our children. It's not legalism. It's, it's some of the best, most practical parenting advice I can give you. 
Now the second thing, uh, this has perhaps more to say to us as a, as a church this morning than simply uh, to the parents. Uh, as a church, we should have a heart for, for parents and children. I'm always a little bit surprised when I, when I meet someone and, and uh, often they'll, they'll find out I'm a minister and they'll say something like, oh, I should, I should bring my kids to church. And I always go, oh, yeah, well, you know, not, not I should come to church, but I should, I should bring my kids. Well, why, why do you want to bring your children to church, I'll, I'll sometimes ask. And they'll, they'll usually answer something like, oh, I or my, my partner grew up going to church, and we, we value the community, and we just want the kids to have the community. And I, I always think to myself, really? Like, have you seen, have you seen our community? I always think, that, like, like the, the disciples treat the children the way most churches uh, are tempted to treat children. You know, we can be a bit grudging about children uh, coming. You know, let the chil- little children come, and then let's put them in, in, in Sunday school or, or children's worship during the service because they, they won't understand it anyway, will they? It's better for them, we think. What we're really saying is that it's, it's better for us. It's more convenient. And I want to challenge us in that this morning uh, in, in two ways uh, and suggest some practicalities for us. First of all, children, children pick up more than you think. They, they don't pick up everything, but I dare say that, that you know, if I can say this kindly, based on some of the conversations I have with, with you all, you don't pick up everything. Neither do I, and I'm preaching the sermons and, and leading the worship. I think there's real value in, in welcoming children into the service. One of the, one of, the uh, one of my best and, and happiest memories of, of attending worship as a child was when I was first learning to read. And I could barely read, but but you know I I, I could I could just start to, to to read the words on a page. And my church used hymn books, and in, in a hymn book, of course, you know you've got it laid out musically. So you've got you know the 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 notes with the the words underneath, and then more notes with words underneath. And I didn't understand how it worked at all. And I was trying to to read it like a paragraph. I was getting frustrated because you know. I, I didn't realize, okay, one, and then jump down to the next one. And I was getting frustrated because I could barely read. I couldn't read fast enough to, to pick up where, where the words were going. And my, my father was the minister, so he was up front. I was sitting next to my mom, and, and uh, some friends of ours were sitting next to me. And, and the, the gentleman uh, realized I was struggling. And he, he just took his finger, and he, he started pointing at the lines as we were singing them. And he taught me in that, that moment how to, how to sing the words from the hymn book. And in that, in that moment, you know, I, I was able to join in the worship of God with his people just as a, as a really young child. That was when I learned to, to, to join in. You know, many people would say I was too young to be there. People would have said I should have been in children's worship singing about uh, Father Abraham or the wise man building his house on the rock or something like that but but I think there's there's tremendous value in welcoming the little children into the service second thing I'll say on this is, is how we treat children in the church and in the service says a lot about what we believe about what is happening in the service itself is the worship service uh, simply adult education or is it the worship of the living God by all his people. 
if it's simply education, then yeah, send the, the kids out. But if it's if it's the worship of the living God by all of his people, then let's not hinder the little children from coming to him. We, it was it was our call to worship this evening, wasn't it? Or this this morning, wasn't it? You know that 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 out of the mouths of babes he has ordained praise. Let's bring our children with joy. And speaking of not hindering them, how do we how do we do that? How do we how do we tear down the the barriers in our our services to to children? We we need to be patient with them and their parents. And we need to celebrate when they they come through the door and, and greet them warmly. Parents need to know that that it's okay for them to to make a, a bit of noise. And if you're a parent, you you need to know that it's, it's okay to to take them out of the service for a bit if if they need to calm down and not be embarrassed about that. What I can tell you is is no one's more anxious about having their children in worship than, than the parents. No one's more, more worried about it. When children are, are here, we, you know, we do provide a space where they can, they can hear the service if they need to be in a quieter room. Let's, let's be gracious to children and parents, but, but let's make it easy on them. Uh, we attended, when, when our children are younger, we attended a larger church. And uh, there was a, a lady there who was, who was a bit hard of hearing. And for some reason... Uh, for, for several Sundays in a row, she ended up, uh, I think, either in front of us or behind us. And, and she thought it was her place to, to kind of try and shush our children or, or things like that, even when they weren't being particularly loud. And for parents, that's, that's a really sensitive thing. You know, nobody's more anxious than them to have their children in, in worship. And so I'll just say to you all, if, if you... You know, if you struggle with noise and, and you need to move seats, that's okay. Let's not all move seats when children are here. Uh, you know, don't treat them like they're, they're, they have a disease or something. You know, a few of us can take distraction for a week. But the parents have, have lots of distractions every Sunday. And so let's, let's bear with them in that. Let's love them in that. Last, I'll say on this that, that uh, we as a church uh, believe one of the, the ways that we bring the children to Jesus is in baptism. And I think this passage actually uh, provides us with a glimpse of how, how Jesus loves and, and welcomes children to, to come to him. I think if, uh, if the church were to, to withhold baptism from, from children, it, it in some ways would it obscures the gospel. And here's what I mean by that. When you, when you look back at the Old Testament, uh, the, the, the male children of, of God's people, the Israelites, were, were circumcised on, on the eighth day. It was very clear the reason why that was was because it was, it was showing their, their admittance, their acceptance, their, their membership in, among the, the covenant people of God. And if we see that in, in the types and shadows of, of the Old Testament, doesn't it, doesn't it just make sense that, that Christ welcomes the, the children of his people, the, the believers, into the new covenant community through baptism. Uh, it's heightened and it's expounded in, in that it's a sign that's not just for the, the male children, but also the, the female children, everyone, all, all the children can receive the sign of, of being part of God's people, the, the promise of the Holy Spirit, and the promises of the gospel are for you as well as your children. And we see that here in Jesus' response to the children being brought to him. That's not the full argument for, for why we baptize children. And, and if you're not there, that's okay. You're, you're very warmly welcomed here at Grace Church. 
but we're meant to bring our children to Christ. And as a church, we're meant to make that easy for parents and, and to, to be gracious and loving to them when they come. Now, the second thing we see this morning is, is Jesus, Jesus is calling to, to young adults. And we could really say all adults, but uh, this, this next bit isn't, isn't only relevant for you, you young people, but I think it's a, it's a challenge for all of us. I think it's important that we, we recognize the unique challenge to, to younger adults and, and teenagers who, who begin to own their faith that their, their parents have brought them to. There's, there's a connection here, isn't there? The, the parents brought the children to Jesus, and then in the very next, very next section, we, we meet this young man. He's identified as, as young and rich. At some point, we all have to, to follow the Savior for ourselves. And often in young adulthood is, is when we can begin to find things that draw our hearts away from Christ. Sinful habits can form. Idols can be established. And we, we, love, we love all adults here at Grace Church. But, but we, we want to encourage uh, young people, teenagers and young adults particularly, to, to get rooted in the faith of Christ Jesus and established in His grace at a young age. So this young man comes to Jesus and he tells them, that he wants, to, he wants to have or possess eternal life. And he wants to, to know what good deed he has to do in order to obtain eternal life. Notice how he, notice how he thinks about, about heaven. He already thinks about it like he thinks about his riches. This is a young man that wants to, to deal with God transactionally. What do I have to, to give to get this thing that I want? What do I have to do to, to gain this, this further possession? That's, that's not actually that far off from how most of us think about eternal life as well, is it? We think that we need to, to do good things for God. If we do uh, enough charity work, if we avoid enough things that we know are, are, are objectively bad, then we can live how we, how we like and still possess heaven. And so Jesus' first response is to, to ask this, this question of this young man, why do, you, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only, there's only one who is good. And what Jesus is saying in this response, you, you hear it in, in other Gospels more clearly, but, but he's, he's essentially challenging this young man, why, why are you asking me about what's good? How am I supposed to know what's, what's good or not? You know, there's only one who's good, and that's, that's the God who made all things. You know, any, any good in our world is, is really uh, because God placed it there. It's borrowed capital. This is something that Jews believe. It's something that we should all believe. Jesus is saying that, that by asking him what is good, that, that actually he's, he's assigning to Jesus, he's, he's recognizing in Jesus an authority that's, that's, uh, that, 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 that's from God alone. He's placing him on a level with God. So Jesus responds to this question by pointing this young man to uh, the law of God. What's he tell him? He says, keep the commandments. And so then the young man asks him uh, this, this amazing question, the one that, that is on the hearts and minds of every legalist who ever lived. Uh, which ones? Which ones? There's just so many, aren't there? Surely there's some that are, are more important than others, and, and as long as I keep those, then, then we're good, right? This is the heart that says, I can, I can be good enough in myself, as long as, we, as long as we move the goalposts a bit. We're all like this. But wait for the punchline. 
it's coming. The young man wants to, to know which commands he needs to keep. Please be specific. And so Jesus says, sure, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's a lot of interplay that's happening with the, the law here, but I'm going to try and keep this as simple as I can. Jesus points him to the moral law, the, the Ten Commandments, and as well as the, the catch-all for the, what's called the second table of all, the loving your neighbor as yourself. And, and by pointing him to, to just a few, he's, he's pointing them to all of them. And you notice he, he leaves out uh, a key one in that, that table, the one about coveting, but we'll come to that in a moment. And so the young man says to him, well, I've done that. I've kept all of these. What do I still lack? That's actually the devastating question, isn't it? He thinks he's kept the law perfectly. That's, that's not great. But the real problem is he thinks he's kept it perfectly, yet he still feels he's not good enough. He still feels that there's something missing. He has no assurance. What, what do I still lack? What I want to suggest to us is, is that, this, this, that he's, he's in some ways asking all the right questions. Even if he deeply misunderstands the law of God, he thinks, he thinks he's good enough. And that's bad. But he recognizes in himself that there's still something, that, that there's still something lacking. And most of us can relate to that, can't we? You know, we, we look at the law of God and we think, oh, I've, I've, I've kept all of that. Most people, if you went out and asked them, you know, if there's a heaven, would, would God let you in? They would say, of course he will. Why? Well, because I'm generally just a good person. But most of the people, if you ask them, they, they still feel that there's something missing in their lives. I dare say most of us in this room would, would say the same. I think I'm good enough, but I just feel something lacking. So Jesus here says to the young man, uh, that you feel you're lacking because you haven't actually kept the law as well as you think. Verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Here's the punchline. You know, the young man thinks that, that uh, wants to know what he lacks. And Jesus tells them nothing. And that's your problem. It's not that you have too little, it's that you have too much. Jesus, in essence, is, is, is uh, pointing him back to the first and tenth commandment here. The young man has, has made an idol of his money. And in his heart, he, he covets more. And he looks at the kingdom of heaven as simply that, that more that he can possess. But Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom then you have to lay aside the things that, that hinder you. You have to lay aside worldly things and follow him. And the tragedy is that this young man walks away because of all the wealth he had. It's, it's not a happy ending, is it? Actually, I read this week that, that this is the only instance in the Gospels where, where uh, a one-to-one -one interaction with, with Jesus like this one doesn't result in discipleship doesn't result in faith and repentance. And that should actually, that should actually cause us to, to stop and take notice here. Many people re recognize the goodness of Jesus. And many will even recognize that, that there's something lacking in their lives, but that, 
there's, there's often something that's hindering them from entering the kingdom. And this may seem uncommon in the Gospels, but it's very common in our day. And so we need to let the, the implications of this passage wash over us and to, to challenge us to our core. See, so what Jesus asked of this young man is, is practically no different to what God had, had asked of Abraham when he called him to sacrifice his son Isaac. You know, the, the one most important thing in Abraham's life, the thing that God himself had, had promised him, some of us would, would look at that and go, God owed it to him because he promised it. And yet God called him to, to sacrifice this son. This, this rich young man identified by his wealth that's the one thing that, that Jesus demands of him. And, he's, 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 uh, and he does this to, to all of us, really. And we have to ask ourselves, what's, what's that bit of our lives we don't want Jesus to touch? What are we refusing to lay aside in order to follow him? It's, it's an absolutely watershed question. It's critical that we recognize just how serious this question is. And we, we actually see and hear the seriousness of this in our third and final point this morning. The, the question that the disciples asked, and that we're all meant to be asking, who can possibly be saved? We hear what Jesus said, and, and we want to, to instantly uh, uh, gain some relief, don't we? We, wanna, we, we often make the mistake of, uh, of, of trying to soften the blow too quickly. You know, we find ourselves saying things like, well, well Jesus is, is, isn't saying it's, it's wrong to have money. He just he wants you to be a good steward. Or we'll say, Jesus, Jesus doesn't mind you, you know, working ridiculously long hours to the detriment of your, your family or your Christian fellowship. Uh, as long as you make some changes once you... you Get your career established. Hire some extra helpers or something. You know, Jesus doesn't, doesn't mind who you, who you sleep with as long as you're praying for their salvation or something like that. The fact is that Jesus does mind. And he wants us to, to feel this one. And he wants us to appreciate the, the seriousness of, of the demands of the law and of our sin. See, Jesus, that we're told, is, is, became aware that his disciples were hearing this, this interaction with this rich young man, and, and he knows that they, like us, want some consolation. And so what does Jesus do? What consolation does he offer? Well, he actually he doubles down, doesn't he? He actually underlines what just happened. He says, truly I say to you, verse 23, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. See, Jesus wants us to, to see that he's serious, doesn't he? Not for, not, not for legalistic reasons. The, the young man was legalistic. He thought he could earn his way. But Jesus wants us to see that he's serious because he's the, only, the one truly good. He's the one who's truly holy. And he wants us and calls us to be truly holy and good as he is. He did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And that means if we're, not, if we're to, to follow him, then we're, we're actually called to, to lay aside our, our, our most favorite sins and our idols and follow him. 
when Jesus says that it's easier for a, a camel to, to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to, to enter the kingdom of heaven. He, he actually means us to take that illustration literally. Some of you, if you've been around the churches for a while, have probably heard Bible teachers uh, who, who've tried to excuse this away or, or, or give some kind of, uh, of way of understanding it that, that uh, is detrimental to what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying is, you take a camel and you try and fit them through the, the eye of, of a needle, the, the eye that's so difficult. You know, when you're, if, if you're sewers and you, you've tried to put thread through the eye of a needle, that's hard enough, isn't it? Imagine putting the largest pack animal in the ancient Near East through the eye of the needle. That's impossible. And the disciples have the same reaction that we all should be having to that this morning. Who then can be saved? Who can live up to this standard? This is where we hear the wonder and the beauty of the gospel so clearly and so succinctly from the lips of Jesus. With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And when you, when you hear that, if this were coming from the, the lips of a, of a philosopher, we should, we should be devastated. If these were coming from the lips of a, of a prophet, we're, we're still not much better off. But the fact that the, the Son of God would stand in our midst and say that your salvation in yourself is impossible, but with God, with me, all things are possible. There's nothing better in the world to hear than that. It should be the source of our of our, our, our deepest joy and hope. You see, this is where our view of ourselves has to get much smaller and our view of Christ has to get, get immensely larger. Jesus says that, 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 that uh, our righteousness is like a big camel that's weighed down by all of our, our sin and brokenness. And his kingdom is, 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 is very difficult, very narrow to get into. When we think that we can be good enough, it's, it's like we're trying to enter heaven through the, the narrow needle's eye. The only way it's possible for to get us to get in is that the God of, of mercy and love and grace for his people the one who is truly good can lift the burdens of our sin from us and open wide the, the, the gates of heaven to us. And that's what Jesus came to do. With man this is impossible, but with God through the blood of his Son, through his death and resurrection, sinners like you and I can be saved. And not only that, but, but notice how he, he finishes with his disciples. I'm not going to, you can ask me after about all the, the 12 thrones and things. I'll, I, I can try and explain it to you. But, but the thing I want you to see is that something that he, he says to the, the rich young man as well. Go sell all your possessions and follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. What's, the, what's he say to the disciples? Everyone who has left house or brother or sister or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life 
but many who are first will be last, and the last first. Jesus can, says that he can repay all those things that, that he asks us to give up. All those things that we, we feel like are going to kill us to have taken away. All the things that we've worked our whole lives for. All the things that we, we think are, are going to give us the happiness that, that we've earned and deserve. Jesus asks us to lay aside and to follow him. And he says if we, if we do that, then, then actually Christ can repay beyond our, our greatest imaginings when we enter his kingdom. See, the calling of the true disciple, the calling of the true follower of Jesus is to leave and to follow. And the promise of Jesus is that he is, is sufficient to make good on all the things that we leave behind. The lesson we learn from the rich young man is is to not allow the, the things of this world, our, our hopes, our, our dreams, our wealth, to harden us and to harden our hearts and to blind us to the wonder and beauty and promises of Christ. Rather, let us cast off all the things that hinder us. Let's leave them behind. Let's follow Jesus, trusting him like little children. Let us pray.